Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. <sighs> yeah. I don't know. The last couple of games, like... um I, mean, I said it on Twitter. Like, if people are still complaining about ET and Myers, they just really need to get new material. They don't get it. <laughs> that's just that's old news. That's over. We're, we've all moved past that. They are no longer should be the butt of anybody's bad basketball jokes. No, I'm waiting for the masses to start questioning what's what's wrong with Collins. I don't think there's anything wrong with him except that he's young and he's hitting the wall and it's frustrating and he's just having a bad, he's having bad Bad few weeks. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's anything like earth shaking about that. Nope. But I think that he set the bar so high when he came out this season because he started so well. Oh, so we're going to blame him for that now. No, no, no. (laughs) I'm not blaming him. But I think people were just like, this is, this is the Zach Collins that everybody expected. I'm like, this well, he's he was I, definitely the the Zach Collins everyone's hoping for, mm-hmm. but he's too young and immature, and also turned twenty one in the middle of uh, <laughs> in two out of the last three games. Yeah, yeah, and he just I mean Stotts is I guess just letting him play through it and figure it out. I guess yeah, because there was somebody who's like if they stop calling uh, fouls on Collins that are clean blocks, and I went back and watched all those fouls, and I'm like. Every single one of those was that clear. They foul. were all good calls. Yeah, they were just clear mm-hmm. fouls. I'm like, there was one that people got upset about on Montrez Harrell in the Clippers game, mm-hmm. and I'm like, he got both arms. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah, he got a piece of the ball, but he got both arms. Like, you can't, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. It would be interesting though to watch other more well-established centers and see how many of those they get away with. The screen ones, I, I will say that the older guys are going to get away with. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talked about this last week. He, he's just got to set screens and not move. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't worry about rolling or slowing them down. If the screen's not there, like if he's not getting them solidly, the guards have, have to do a better drop, job of setting him up. To Giving m- him time to get in place. Yeah, and, and, and leading the defender into the screen better. And then mm-hmm. Zach needs to probably be better about when, like timing-wise when to initiate the screens. It's a little bit of both. Like he needs to, like he needs to put it on the refs right now. Like I'm not fouling. Right. So they they can't do it. Yeah, no, I get that. I, and I, I get that, you know, every one of his fouls was, you know, probably a foul, but I'm just curious, you know, like I said, other, other centers Mm -hmm. who commit the same fouls, how likely are they to be called for the same thing? Yeah. Like, like marching Gortat's going to get away with murder. Yeah. (laughs) Like he's he's a moving screen setter extraordinaire, but that's when you get that's what you get when you a ten plus vet ten plus year vet. Yeah, but you're just talking about moving screens. I'm talking about like you know other kinds of. I mean, are you talking also about other kinds of fouls no, underneath his, the his, rim? Yeah, no, his rim challenging fouls have been a train wreck lately. He's bringing his arms down. That so Joe's sitting next to me as we we're watching after he picked up that fifth foul, and Joe's like, "Jesus, Zach, what are you doing?" Like three possessions in a row, he had that one nice block. And then Joe's like, he's going to pick up his six. I'm like, yeah, he's going to pick up his six. He's he's way too aggressive right now. And he came down. He could have gotten called for a foul. He came down. He could have gotten called for a foul again. And Joe's like, what is going on? I'm like, he's campaigning for that sixth foul right now. And Stotts is going to let him have it. Next <laughs> session, he brought his arms down right on top of the driver and got rang up for the sixth foul. And Joe's like, you weren't kidding. I'm like, no, I I, I like the aggressiveness, but like he's, He's all arms sometimes, and it's like, you don't need to do it, young fella. You got the length. Stop doing it. Yeah. Well, I think we should get started. Mm-hmm. You got anything else you want to get out first? Nope. Okay. <laughs> all right, here we go. Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I am Tara Bowen Biggs, joined as always by Blazer's Outsider, who I think I might hear him cracking open a beverage right now, Danny Meringue. Yeah, energy drinks for the win. 
Oh, because you didn't have any energy already. We've already been talking for like an hour. <laughs> yeah, between computer issues and me going on my rants. Good times. Good times. Yeah. Well, so how did you spend your Thanksgiving, Danny? So Thanksgiving Day, first one with the uh, the girlfriend's family. And uh, Did you I, pass? I, I, not only did I pass, I carved the turkey. Dang, they gave you a knife? Yeah, they, like, they looked at me and they are just like, this is all you. And I was like, oh, oh, no pressure, huh? Just, <laughs> just right into this. Bunch of people that I don't know and then the girlfriend's family. Got to make sure, got to go with the grain. Can't go against it. So it sounds like it turned out okay. Yeah, then we did uh, Friday Thanksgiving with my sisters, with my family, and the girlfriend came out there, and everything went, went, went well, went according to plan. Was able to skedaddle out of there in time to watch the Blazers get throttled by the Warriors. So, mm, such good, a treat. Good times, good times. <laughs> How was yours? Well, what? How was yours? So I had a lovely uh, Thanksgiving. I was doing a, I was like living a Hallmark bingo card. It was amazing. I was in, uh, I went up to the San Juan Islands. My mother-in-law lives on Lopez Island, which is in the San Juan Islands in Northern Washington. When I first started dating my husband and he said that he had a a family in the San Juan Islands, I thought it was like tropical. And I was (laughs) like, sweet. And then I found out it was in very cold and very wet and rainy northern Washington. However, it is still absolutely gorgeous. And so I was on this tiny little island and like every sort of fall winter festival took place over this very weekend. So there was like a village lighting ceremony and there was a Christmas bazaar and there was every kind of thing that you could possibly find on a Hallmark Channel movie bingo card. So I was living that. But one thing I did want to tell you about it is not a lot of people know this, but Paul Allen actually owned a really pretty large piece of property on Lopez Island. Um, Like way back in 1996, he bought uh, like over 300 acre parcel at the there's like a little tiny island at the tip of the island that's joined by like a little itty bitty road. So he owned like what's called the Sperry Peninsula. So I've been going up to the island for 30 years and he bought his property like in 1996. So for the last 20 plus years, every single time I go to the island, I totally deck myself out in trailblazers gear just in case I get to run into him and meet him. And sadly, I never got to run into Paul Allen while he was alive on the island. But I was totally ready because I like always wanted to be ready for an icebreaker. Like in case I saw him, I'd be like, hey, I have my trailblazers outfit on. So everybody on the island up there calls me Portland because I'm like so decked out in blazer gear all the time. But it was it was interesting. It was the first time I'd been there since since he died. You have your own little like, Goonies nickname, Portland. I do. Yeah, they call me Portland. So Lopez Island is that name for Brooke or Robin? <laughs> I'm not quite sure, but they would actually spent some time in their youth on Woodby Island, not far from there. Makes so. sense. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, Thanksgiving, all the NBA teams were off. It sounds like uh, Damian Lillard threw a big feast with his family. I did not see whether or not other Trailblazers attended, but I know that he invited them to go. I wonder uh, what the Blazers would say right now that they are thankful for. Winning, losing aside, I I wonder what they would say that they are thankful for. I mean... Million dollar contracts, the ability to play sports for a living. I mean, yeah, how about being on a team <laughs> that is functional? Yeah, being on a team where you don't hate every single person you work and play with. Yeah, that's 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 got to go uh, undervalued these time. This have time. a coach that they respect. Yeah, this is just shout out Terry Stotts' birthday because like I I don't know how many coaches are in the league have like all of their players sending out love to their coach on Instagram. Like I just have a hard time seeing anybody on the wizards being like, Hey, what up Scott Brooks? You the man, you're a good person. Thank you for letting me be me. And like, (laughs) like I just, I just don't see that happening. Yeah. I, I loved all of the like really thoughtful messages. Cause you could tell those, those guys wrote them themselves. Like they were really from the heart. Yeah. They weren't the handler. Right. Exactly. They were, they were really, uh, crafted specially for Terry Stotts. Well, let's get into it. We can put it off as long as we we can, but at some point we have to start talking about where the Blazers are right now. 
Uh, 12 and 8 right now. We're recording Monday night. They are sixth in the Western Conference. They are coming off of three straight losses to Milwaukee and Golden State. And then they dropped their first game back home to the Los Angeles Clippers. What say you, Dan? I wanted to check on you a couple of times. I was afraid maybe you were, um, uh, you know, going to fall over or burn everything to the ground. No, not really. I mean, I 100% expected the Milwaukee loss. Mm-hmm. Like, that was a scheduling loss. Now, I didn't expect them to get their ass kicked the way they did. Um Giannis had a, a message to send after the Bucks' last performance in Portland. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, I mean, he had, what, 13, 13 dunks in the game? Something ridiculous like that? Like, he just obliterated them at the rim. And there was nothing Portland could do about it. There was no way, shape, matter, or form. Um, so, yeah, I think... I don't think that game was indicative of the difference between Milwaukee and Portland. Um, I don't think they're 43 points different. <laughs> no, I was just like, please don't lose by 50. Please don't lose by 50. Please don't lose by 50. I mean, if Wade doesn't bank in a three at the end, it's a 46-point game. And, that's, I mean, that's that's that, that's that's flirting with disaster. Uh but, well, one thing about that game, too, is that Milwaukee had come off of two... Like they pulled out wins after digging themselves into giant holes. So they also made a point on this game out of coming out, seizing control and not relinquishing it for a minute. <laughs> I, I thought Stotts left the guys in a little too long. I would have rather them just white flag a little bit earlier, but I know Dane's not the kind of guy who's ever going to do that. So mm-hmm. Stotts has got to kind of let the leash loose a little bit. Fast forward to the Golden State game. That game pissed me off. Okay, why? Uh, you let KD get loose. You let Clay get loose. You can't let them both get loose. Mm-hmm. Like, why do you think what what was the what was the breakdown that let them get loose? Well, they came out just hyper focused day after Thanksgiving. Portland's at the last game of the road trip. Uh, little- well, and there was no way they were going to lose five in a row. Yeah, and that's the other thing. The the Warriors were going to. I mean, they, they weren't going to go on a five-game losing streak. That just wasn't going to happen. Um, then the Warriors decided to play fine C.J. McCollum. That, that was the offense they ran for the first quarter. And Clay went at him. And honestly, like, I've, I've been down on C.J.'s defense most of this year so far. He's been subpar. And I, I hope he finds a way to kind of get that going. But I thought he went right at Clay defensively a lot. And I saw probably his most intense effort defensively on clay on, on the mid range and mid post um, post up opportunities, clay's just that good. Mm-hmm. And he turned and shot over him over and over and over again. And the, the, I think the one key strand that goes through the Clippers, the Warriors, and the Bucks is this they're all big. They all have length. They all have more length and athleticism than the, than the Trailblazers currently have. And they exploited those matchups regularly. Tobias Harris is a guy that. The Blazers have two guys that can match up with him physically, and Alfred Camino and Moe Harkless, and neither one of those guys were up to the task. Um, Clay and KD are both big for their position, and I mean, you can only have Aminu on one of those guys. Um, as far as like, I saw some criticism uh, of Coach Stotts in that they that Portland should double KD. Portland tried to double KD twice in that game. Both times, um, KD can see it coming and makes the skip pass for a wide open three to Damian Jones to the corner for three. That's that's why you don't double KD. He can see it coming. He has the length and the vision to see it coming and anticipate it and know where to go with the ball. The same is true of Clay, Clay Thompson. They, they can see it and they can pass over the top of it. You, you can't double those guys in the perimeter. The second you do that, you're asking for a corner three or a layup. So it's it's... It's a really difficult position when a team has the length, the vision, and the capability to hit you from multiple spots like that, and Portland really doesn't have the juice to respond um, in those possession-by-possession periods. It has to be a more substantial effort over the game. Mm -hmm. Well, so with the last three games, those three Blazer losses – 
honestly, none of the losses surprised me. Not that I wanted them to happen, but like you just gave a couple of really good points about why Milwaukee was prepared, why Golden State wasn't going to, you know, lose another one. And I really think the Los Angeles Clippers loss was due to how discombobulated they got when Yusuf Nurkic went out. But over the course of the last couple of weeks in general, how do you how has the play of the Blazers changed? Because it feels different to me than it did at the beginning of the season. And I don't know if it's just, well, we're just in a spot where they're not hitting threes. If it's as simple as that, I suspect it's much more complex. What are your thoughts on that? So I started digging in this earlier today. And actually, I need to, I need to pull up this, this Twitter thread. Um, cause I, I kind of just started throwing some things out there. Um, but the problem is, is I can't look at the advanced stuff because the feed has been cut for the play type data right now. I can only assume that's the NBA switching things over for second spectrum. So I can't tell you what the play type data is right now. So oh, like on NBA.com, they're not showing yeah, it's, okay. it's completely gone. It's not even up like you can get there, like if you type in the URL, but it's not updating. So there's something going on there, which mm-hmm. sucks as far as the public access stuff. But as far as like, just observation. Yeah, the observation wise, like it feels like Portland is is going more and relying on straight pick and roll. The ball's not moving quite as much, and there's a little bit when things have gone a little sideways, they've gone a little bit more ISO heavy. Um, and kind of reverted back to some of the stuff that we saw last year. Now, in spurts, I don't mind it. Like Damian Lillard going ISO heavy against the Clippers last night got Portland back in the game. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's what Damian Lillard does. I mean, anytime you have a player as, as good as C.J. McCollum or Damian Lillard in isolation, you want them to get those those opportunities from time to time. But when it becomes options one, two, three, and four, that's when defenses can load up and take that away. Flip side of that is... Alfred Camino's two of his last 18 from three, Tara. Oh, I know. It's killing me. Trust factor. Those guys aren't aren't delivering. Why are they, why are they missing threes? I don't, I don't get it. I don't know what is going on because, okay. So Portland has eight losses this year in those eight losses. They have won the third quarter exactly one time. And that was against a Miami team after they got their ass handed to them in the first half. I'm sure that that's Coach Stott saying, you need to figure this out. You need to get going. And in four of those eight losses, this is what Portland has shot from three in the third quarter. One for 10 twice, one for 12, and one for 13. Wow. I mean, what's <laughs> what could possibly be the reason there? Sure. What are they doing at halftime? That's four, what is it, four and... 45 four for 45 from three so i wonder do you can you tell quickly i don't want to take too much time if you can't tell quickly how many of those did they have leads um they've only actually had two leads at the half (laughs) um of those eight games or overall uh, overall what um i'm sorry those in the losses in the losses okay so in their eight losses, they've only led at halftime twice. Okay. And there was a one-point lead that they blew to the Lakers, and then a 13-point lead that they obviously they blew to the Clippers. Mm-hmm. But in every other one of those losses, they, they've been... Uh, they were already behind. Tied or behind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't... I just... I don't understand it because I don't know if the other teams have a scouting report are are trying something like what would you tell a team coming in to play the Blazers and say we're going to take away their three by or are we would you say you know what don't worry about it they can't throw a three to save their life right now so give them the three I mean how would you approach it if you were uh, suggesting to a coach you know what the scouting report would be so what I've seen teams do is a couple different versions. Like the Warriors decided to really aggressively trap and blitz Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum and pick and roll um, to keep them limited. The Clippers opted instead to play a bit more, a bit softer, play a drop back defense in pick and roll coverage. Like if you watched early in the game when Damian Nurk ran pick and roll coverage, uh, here's here's where where it, it, it it's indicative of, of personnel. 
the Clippers have Shea Gilders Alexander, who's six six, um, nimbly as as can be, and an absolute water bug athletically. He gets around screens and is able to use his length to contest shots. And they've got a very heady, high IQ defender in Marching Gortat who can drop back and, and and play the paint. So what the Clippers did was drop back, take away Nurkic on the roll, which is something that Damian Lillard has favored. And it's something I was I was actually looking at in charting this year is that um, this year uh, Dame is assisting or forty one percent of Dame's assists are to Yusuf Nurkic. Mm-hmm. That's up ever so slightly from thirty nine and a half percent over all of last year. So that's mm-hmm. that's 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 where Dame is getting the bulk of his assists. And so the Clippers are going to say, we're going to take away your primary playmaking ability of getting the ball to Yusuf Nurkic by having Gortat drop with him. The thing that they gave up, and it was pretty noticeable in that first half, where were Dame and CJ absolutely murdering the Clippers from early in the game? The mid-range. And while that's a good shot for a guy like CJ McCollum, it's not necessarily the best shot for Damian Lillard. But he was cooking. He was absolutely hitting. I think he was 9 for 10 inside the paint at one point against the Clippers. Or I'm sorry, not inside the paint, but inside the three-point line. And so they, they built up that lead hitting a shot that the Clippers are like, okay, in the long run, you're not going to hit it. Whereas the Warriors are like, we're going to make you give up the ball early and make you make the extra pass, and we're going to use our length and athleticism to contest in the passing lanes. And if you've watched Blazers Outsiders at all over the past like two weeks, you've heard me say this probably a dozen times. These bounce passes to the Blazers pigs on the roll through two guys are going to be the death of me, Tara. Really? You don't like those? I don't mind them. but I love those. How many of them have turned into live ball turnovers? I don't know. I'm just so excited about the ones that work. (laughs) Yeah, don't get me wrong. I don't mind them when it's not through two guys. I haven't looked at, gone back and looked at how many didn't work because I've I have gone back and looked at all the ones that did. Yeah, it's it's been like there was one that opened the game against the Clippers, I believe, um, where Nurkic was a uh, uh, soft roll down the left side, and the help came, and Dame found him on the back side where he was able to catch it in space. That's the thing. If you're allowing your bigs or whoever else is cutting on the backside or rolling on the backside to catch it in space, that's, that's okay because you're allowing for them to have space to, to make an adjustment. But you're asking a 7-foot, 280-pound human being to adjust to a pass that he's probably not going to see until the last second as it's going through arms and legs that a lot of the times is like knee-high or maybe thigh-high because of how they need to put the ball through there. And it's it's turned into a lot of live ball turnovers, a, a ton of them. Um, like I want to go back. I want to go back and count go, them. See, go back and watch it. Cause it's, it's wild. Like I said it the other day on Twitter, I was just like, I will give my right arm for one of these blazer guards to throw a damn pass over the top. <laughs> like for the love of God, guys, just, you've got Nurkic, Collins and Leonard. All three are capable of catching and flushing. Like that's, mm-hmm. That's not out of the realm of possibilities. Now, credit to Damian Lillard because against the Clippers, he did try twice with Leonard. Um, they were just bad passes. On the alley-oops? Yeah, on the alley-oops. And they, and they were there. Residual from the alley-oop practice that they did on Thanksgiving in Damian Lillard's backyard, I hope. I'm, I'm assuming that the, the court they were on was uneven. <laughs> the, the, the passing practice didn't help. I, I hope that's something they continue to work on and hone in because those opportunities are there. You, like. For all of the talk about Collins and Leonard and what they can or can't give offensively, that is, there's one thing I am going to remain high on, really in Nurkic too, throw the damn ball at the rim and let one of those three dudes go get it. It's going to be a high percentage shot if the pass is relatively close. Yeah, it's never going to be Nurkic. He's never going to. He still hasn't attempted an alley-oop, I don't think, in the... He hasn't for the year. I don't know if he's going to, because I wrote about his dunking, and um, uh, the last... Mom's favorite was Yusuf Nurkic for increasing the amount of dunks. And you know that I don't like dunking just for the sake of dunking. I like dunking in the natural course of play. And Yusuf Nurkic has already attempted 30 dunks this year. And through 19 games last year, he'd only attempted 10. So he's definitely attempting 
is, more. Is there, Tara? He's got 24 through 20, and it's accounting mm-hmm. for 14% of his field goal attempts. No, he's and it's it's not he's still not, you know, lighting the place on fire in terms of like, you know, massive numbers, but he's doing it when it makes sense and he's getting himself more opportunities. However, I'm worried because every time I name somebody a mom's favorite for the week, something happens. So like a couple of weeks ago, it was Alfaruk Aminu and because he had this really great, super efficient week where he was shooting and he had he was hitting his threes beautifully. And ever since then, he can't throw the ball in the ocean. And then I wrote about Zach Collins and how when everybody was turning it over, he was also turning it over, but not as much. <laughs> so I wanted him to get a little credit for that. And then he proceeds to go and have like probably the worst couple of weeks of his career so far. Poor guy. And then I wrote about Yusuf Nurkic and now he's injured. So I don't know if I should just not do that column anymore. I, next week, I'm going to just award it to an inanimate carbon rod and see how that goes. How about you start talking about things you like with other teams that are playing the <laughs> next week? No, I could never do that. Wait, but I, okay, I want to I want to move on to our Twitter questions because we got some really good ones. But I want to say one more thing about that Clippers game. And I am convinced that 99% of what their problem was is they were completely at sea with Nurkic out that third quarter. They were playing like they did not know which end was up. They were so disorganized and they were so trying to figure out what was going on and how, I mean, they were like at sea being battered by the winds and the, you know, the raging sea while they were, I was up on islands. So there's a lot of water metaphors going on. That was a one but, for 10 quarter from the three two, Tara. What? That was a one for 10. Yeah. I mean, they, three. they couldn't get organized. They couldn't, I mean, I just thought they looked shell shocked and I felt like the fourth quarter, they got it together more and they started playing with a little more fire. They got into a little bit more of a rhythm. They still made a few mistakes that were like, but I I mean, if they're not going to have Nurkic, that is, I don't. <laughs> Let's hit on that real quick on Nurkic, um, because by the time this comes out in the morning, we probably won't have an update yet. There was no media availability today media availability today mm-hmm. so that's why we didn't get an update on Nurkic so hopefully we should know more after shoot around tomorrow or after yeah. tomorrow at noon I just I'm so worried about it being a shoulder but you know I'm a warrior so maybe it was precautionary I don't, don't I don't know the idea of him not coming back in the game that I felt that they easily could have won that game if he had stayed in the game because I felt like the beginning of the game I thought and I, so I was listening to the first half of the game, and then I watched the second half of the game. And from what I heard of the first half of that game, it sounded like Damian Lillard was eating Shea Gilgis Alexander alive. Like he was just getting everything that he wanted out of them. And I really think if Nurkic had been able to play, they would have easily won that game. But you'll never, we'll never know. He probably stymied a lot of the defensive efforts, but. Um, Portland's inability to hit a shot is becoming a little bit concerning, particularly in the third quarter. Yeah. Yeah. Was it last year, too, that they had problems in the third quarter? Yep. Oh, that is so strange. Well, I don't know. I don't know what we, what we can do about that. Let's go ahead and move on to our Twitter questions. Are you ready? Always. Got some good ones. They really spanned a good variety of things. So let's go ahead and jump in. Our first one uh, from Brandon Goldner, friend of the show. He said, did the Blazers bench turn back into a pumpkin or are they just hitting a rough pumpkin patch? Uh, So it's kind of tongue in cheek, but also a really good question. Up until two weeks ago, the Blazers bench was third in minutes played. They were ninth in points. They were third highest net rating. And then I just looked over the last two weeks, they are 29th in net rating. So what are your thoughts on the Blazer bench? Um, couple things. The I think some of the rotations have changed a little bit. I think that they got away from Evan Turner as primary ball handler and Evan and Evan Turner back in the old ways, like Evan Turner spacing mm-hmm. floor. Um, and that he's been taking a lot more uh, long shots. And I think that's more about what teams are giving and what, who's on the floor. Like we're seeing more time with Dame CJ and Turner on the floor again. And with, Dame or CJ initiating the play. 
Mm-hmm. If Evans on the floor not initiating the play, then it allows the defense to load up a certain way. That's that's not going to change. Um, the other that lineup works successfully when they're trying to defend down the stretch. Yes, Dame, CJ Turner, Aminu, Nurkic. But not when they're trying to build a lead. No, half uh, going into last week, that five man lineup had I, of, of like the minimum qualifiers of like forty eight minutes on the floor together. That lineup had the second best net rating in the league. Like they were like plus twenty four or something like that. Yeah, but that was Turner with the starters, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, 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 that second that unit was closing, that was a closing lineup. I'm just talking mm-hmm. about the difference between yeah. Evan Turner with that unit versus with the bench. And a lot of I think what's happened to, with the bench recently is that um, shooting is completely dried up. Zach was a train wreck offensively. Uh, he couldn't hit anything over the past 10 days. He's had a rough couple of weeks, that's for sure. Yeah, it, it's been it's been really weird. So let me, let me update my, my stats board here. Um, advance. Well, bench. so while you're looking up that, I, it seems to me that they've, I think you alluded to it at the beginning, that they've had the ball in Steph, Seth Curry's hands a lot more than in Evan Turner's and also I we're not getting as much Nick Stauskas yeah and I think it's an effort to get Seth going because he's he struggled um I I I, we kind of all agreed that you know a month into the season Mm -hmm. was really when we were going to first start taking a look at it Mm -hmm. um but if you look at what has happened with the bench unit since what is it the 11th yeah the 11th um, Evan's shooting 38% from the field. Seth's shooting 38% from the field. Zach's shooting 42%. Um, the only one shooting over 40% from three that's getting time are Myers and Seth. Myers is shooting almost 70%. Good God. Jesus. <laughs> what about Stauskas? And Stauskas is shooting 33% from three. Hmm. So the shooting like is he's shooting it, better than that. Yeah, the shooting's dried up a little bit over this this last eight games. Um, this the struggle has kind of been real there. The only prolific shooting the Blazers are getting from any any real consistency is coming from Myers. Mm-hmm. And I mean, his usage rate is so low that you're you know you're only getting what eight points out of the game. So it, it's just kind of one of those things, and I think that's primarily has to do with the ball being taken out of Evan Turner's hand. So the bench that we've seen lately in the last couple of weeks, do you think that's the bench that will continue to play? Or do you think that um, that was a kind of a, they're in a shooting slump? I think it's been a mixture. uh, I think it's in between Uh what the supernova bench was through the first 10 games and what they've been basically through the last 10 games. I think they're in between. I think they're still one of the best benches overall that Portland has had in years. Uh, I think they're trying to adjust and do separate things that could be detrimental immediately, but be beneficial in the long run. That's like getting Seth Curry going, like putting in different sets for him or getting Zach Collins going or, or, or allowing Stauskas to be more creative in the, with the ball. Um, I think those things will pay dividends in the long run once they figure out what the optimal level is kind of for each guy. I just wish they would get Stauskas going because I like his playmaking better than I like Seth Curry's, but maybe we just haven't seen Seth's full range. I would, well, Seth's much, much better in the pick and roll. Like Seth's numbers, advanced numbers, the last year he was healthy with Dallas, he was a phenomenal pick and roll point guard. Hmm. Um, I personally would love to see Seth and Ben Myers work the pick and roll where you've got two guys who are capable of stepping back and shooting the three and also capable of getting to the rim and finishing or in Myers's case, uh, rolling to the rim and finishing with the dunk. Like mm-hmm. uh, I, I would like to see that worked in to some level. Um, as, as far as Stauskas goes, something that, that we've kind of talked about in the studio is like, why haven't we really seen him in the second half? Like I, I, beginning of the season, we saw Stauskas much more frequently in the second half. Where the last 
the handful of games, we really don't see him come out with the second half at, at really at all, other than for maybe a few minutes. And it, it seems like if they're struggling, that would be a good place to go to offensively. Maybe there's been enough evidence defensively that he's getting beaten that it's, it's not there. I, I haven't noticed it entirely. But I, I'm, I'm not certain why he's not getting a little bit more burn. I'm not out here championing that he needs to get 30 minutes a game. But I, I think the 13 minutes that he's getting right now is probably a little low. Yeah, well, we'll see how we'll see how have to see how that develops. Uh, let's go on to the next question. This one is about Myers, and it's Burlicious M, and it's more of an observation on his part because the question that I asked was, "What are y'all thinking?" And Burlicious M says he's thinking about Myers' emergence as a reliably efficient scorer and rebounder. He's currently putting up 50, 50, 90 numbers, leading the league in three-point percentage and rebounding at a per-minute rate similar to Nurk. So we've talked a lot about Myers' shooting. Do you have any comments to add about his rebounding? I mean, we talked about coming into the season, like, who's going to rebound for this team? Right. Um, Myers, over the last couple of weeks... Has been we had 16 the other night. And, and Brian Freeman, you know, here at Blazers Edge, he, he highlighted something that, that we were we were wondering too, that, you know, the offensive rebounding. Myers kept three or four possessions alive last night with back-to-back offensive rebounds. There was one where he came running in from the three-point line where he was spacing the floor in the possession and just snatched it out of the air, reset the offense. It was actually, it was that crazy play where it ended up like getting deflected like three times. Stiles just pumped fake and drove a couple times on, on the play. And I think it ended up with Evan Turner hitting a, a fallaway jumper. But in that possession, Myers got an offensive rebound twice out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And they're all hustle and instinct plays. Like that, those aren't the, like hustle has always been there for Myers, but the instincts on the rebounds haven't always been there. And yeah, you said that earlier when when we were leading into the season that you felt like rebounding is kind of one of those things that you either are or you yeah. aren't. And but my, do you feel like Myers has developed? I, I I think it's too soon to say developed, but I think he's done some things recently where he's reading the game better. And not just rebounding, but just the game in general. And I know people are going to be like, oh, Dan, he's a Myers fan, he's a Myers supporter, blah, blah, blah. Listen, I mean, if you can't look at the at the numbers right now and the impact that Myers is having – God help you, because right. his per thirty six numbers right now. Well, coming into the season, Tara, I, I I said fifteen and seven is a reasonable standard to accept and expect from Myers Leonard. He's at 19, and that seemed like a lot too when you 19, said that. I was like, yeah. whoa. <laughs> he's at nineteen and fourteen, and he's shooting 50, 50, 90. Like, I mean, what more do you want from the guy? And I've heard people like, oh, but Portland struggled when Myers was in there defensively. Yeah, because their guards are getting their ass kicked on the perimeter. Like, the, the, I heard uh, Tom Haberstroh hopped on uh, 620 today, and he was talking about the Blazers' defense and how he's just been a train wreck over the last couple of weeks. And he said some of that blame is, is falling on Yusuf Nurkic, and that's just unjustly so. They've got to do a better job on the perimeter of slowing guys down because it's just a turnstile out there lately. Like, it, it's, there, there have been possessions where it's been little to no action, not even triple threat, just catch and drive and guys are offering little to no resistance. And I think they're getting a little over reliant on their help defense. Mm. And the same is true. Like Myers is not Yusuf Nurkic in that regard. So you, you can't expect him to cover that ground and, and, and cover up the mistakes like that. Like the onus on them, the perimeter guys to be more productive and be more attentive in those, op- in, in those opportunities. So in, by them you mean like Aminu and Lehman and Harkless and Dave Turner? CJ. Oh, you mean the guards? Yeah, especially okay. the guards. Sorry. Um, okay. Now, don't get me wrong; the, the wings have feasted lately too. But I think that's more Giannis is an unstoppable force, and Kevin Durant is an immovable object. I mean, those guys. Yeah, and are, they're a foot taller. than yeah, our guards. <laughs> yeah, these guys are going to get theirs, and then you've got a guy like Tobias Harris who. Like Aminu started the season and did admirably when he's guarding Giannis and guarding LeBron. And I, I wonder if some of his offensive woes are translating to the defensive side. Mm. Because I've seen him not be as attentive, not be as aggressive in plays lately. Mm-hmm. Not a ton, but just a little bit. 
And I'm wondering if it's just a little bit of a funk that he's in on both sides right now that he'll just eventually kind of get over and get through. Because I think every player who's not an elite, oh my God, superstar is going to struggle at some point in the season. Even the superstars do. Yeah. But I, the problem is I think it's become a little bit infectious. Mm. Yeah, it's spread to other areas. Mm-hmm. Well, let's move on to the next question. And this one is from Jared H., He says, on a scale of, (laughs) I love this is a great question, on a scale of classic Brian Wheeler, stymied, staggered, and stupefied to Brian Wheeler's so mad he could bite through a rope, where is Dan sitting right now? So mad I could bite through a stag. (laughs) Through a stag? It's a deer reference. Yeah. Deer, venison, staggered, never mind. Okay, that was they, that was that was a stretch, Dan. They all can't be winners, Tara. <laughs> that was a stretch. Somewhere so, Sheen is rolling his eyes, like, "Yeah, this is why you don't do comedy." Uh, <laughs> uh, but I, honestly, twelve and eight, kind of what I figured. I mean, this—that's. I, I I said this on the show the other day. I think that the Warriors have kind of ruined the NBA in this one particular regard. They have made sixty plus sixty five wins seem like the norm and that that's just not true and teams even good teams struggle they go through stretches of losing two out of three or three out of five or five out of seven whatever it is like that stretch occurs to good teams even great teams but i think that people are so used to seeing these these lines from even a team like houston last year where they just chew through a season with an eight-game winning streak, 10-game winning streak, 13-game winning streak, where that's just like the winning, you know, 12 out of 15 regularly, that people forget that, you know, losing streaks happen. And I think, I mean, even the Warriors this year, they, they lost four in a row. Like, it's just, uh, I, I'm not, I don't think I'm mad at all. This is more what I expect. I was more surprised by the start than I am what, than what has transpired over the last few games, over the last two weeks. I think that the Portland team is somewhere in the middle, which puts them at 12 and 8. I mean, if you look at their expected win-loss based off the strength of schedule so far, it's 11 and 9. They're, they're 12 and 8 right now, Tara. Like, I, I, I don't, I'm not really blown away or surprised. Like, the only thing that has really surprised me this year is the loss to Miami, which, you know, circumstances surrounding that, that crappy game to the Wizards, and then getting shellacked by the Warriors. Nothing else has really been all that surprising. You mean the Bucks or the Warriors? Oh, I said the Wizards. I'm sorry. Getting shellacked by the Warriors. The Bucks wanted, I think everybody saw coming, just not to that extent. But uh, I, I legitimately thought Portland would win the Warriors game, come home, unwind, and lose to the Clippers. Mm. That would that was how I saw that going, and then they dropped both of them. So what do I know? Yeah. <laughs> so you're not panicking. You're not going to bite through a rope. No. And you're it's it is what it is. I don't know. Yeah, you can't get too high. You can't get too low. And you're usually you know super high or super low. So that's admirable on your part. I mean, I, this is just I, I think this is what this team has been over the last few years. They're going to overachieve at times. They're going to underachieve at times. There was something that, that, that uh, Joe said last night. Or excuse me, it was Shane. Shane said the Clipper game, the Clippers did a really good job of just being a steady team the entire night where Portland really peaked and really bottomed out during the game. Like there were times where Portland looked phenomenal, unstoppable juggernaut of a team. And then there were times where like the Suns would beat them nine out of ten nights. They would have been fine if they had use of Nurkic. I'm still convinced that that That's completely fine. shook them. But the way they played over certain stretches was just very volatile. Whereas the Clippers were a steadier team. I, I think this team is just that team where they're going to have some seriously high highs and, and they're going to look fantastic and amazing. But when they suck, they suck something fierce. Like the, oh, there we go. There's the there's the drama coming in. No, I just they're. I mean, Tara, they lost by forty three, and it really was forty six. Like in that Knicks game, that's a, that's a game that they should have put away much sooner. The Wizards game, they looked uh, they looked really bad in that game. Like that's what I mean. Like this, yeah, they're not the only team this year. They're, they're not the only good team near the, this 
the year this year that has struggled. No, and I mean the Jazz lost by fifty to freaking uh, uh, Maps. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that, that's just that's just what I mean. Like that's I mean, if you look at the standings right now in the Western Conference, good God, projecting playoff positioning off of where things are right now at the end of the year. Because yeah, don't just you, don't. <laughs> yeah, if you hit that, you should be buying all of the lottery tickets because. Mm-hmm. Like the Clippers and Grizzlies are sitting atop the conference right now, and it's like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> Good for the Grizzlies. Yeah, the Spurs, we got to move on though. The Spurs and Jazz are, are sitting outside the playoff picture, so yeah, just go ahead and figure that out. <laughs> oh, so this next one is from Cody Tarbell, and Cody says Seth Curry looks like he has still not found his groove yet, coming back from injury. Do you think Curry would benefit? more running the offense through him instead of being off the ball or should we expect a longer adjustment period with curry we pretty much covered this anything else you want to add yeah I, like do you think give him more time yeah just a quick little bit i think one of the ways that stas has tried to integrate curry more so and we saw it against the clippers and i don't know if it's because of, of, of Nurkic's injury or not but we saw curry out there with dame and um mccullum yeah the three guard lineup they, they ran the three guard lineup out there and I think to try to space the floor a little bit more. So like maybe that's an opportunity, but you're giving up so much size. Mm-hmm. You, you've got 6'1", 6'3", and 6'3". Like it's either Seth or CJ's your small forward at that point in time. Yeah. And that against a team with any real size is terrifying. Uh, yeah. I don't – it's a, a catch-22 situation. Because if you're putting the ball in Seth Curry's hands, you're taking it out of Evan Turner's. This is the same kind of problem that, that, that Portland faced over the last couple of years versus, you know, having C.J. McCollum run the second unit or having Evan Turner. Seth mm-hmm. is better with the ball in his hands, but he's still one of Portland's – Portland has three. But is four. he? I just – I haven't seen it yet. Is it just because we haven't seen it yet because he hasn't gotten enough burn? Yeah, because with Dallas, he was phenomenal in the pick and roll. Phenomenal. No, he was. Okay. His, his points per possession – You're uh, not overselling this here no, at all. No, he was phenomenal in the pick and roll. Absolutely, one hundred percent. He was an elite level scorer on a points per possession basis in the pick and roll. Um, he, he's right up there with Damian Lillard. So if that gives All right. kind of a caveat of where he's where he's sitting, um, but Portland has four good to great catch and shoot shooters: Myers Leonard, CJ McCollum, um, Seth Curry, and Nick Stauskas. So if you're gonna have Seth on the floor. I think you've got to find that right balance of getting Seth opportunities in the catch and shoot, but also letting him have his fun every now and then. And I think the best way to do that is probably get Seth involved in early offense. So if Seth's going to run a set, let it be in the early offense. Let Seth's got to work for it a little bit though. He's got to get down the court earlier, get going earlier in the clock. So defenses aren't quite as set. So they don't know where the help, you know, where to send the help from if he does beat somebody off the pick and roll. So it's not always coming from Evan Turner being in the corner. And that's a really, really specific thing. But I think that's, that's one thing they could do. Okay. We're going to move on to uh, a question from Lazarus Jackson. The question is what happens to Lehman who was good to great as a low usage, high efficiency offensive option. Now that Harkless is back in the starting lineup. Oh boy! So that's the question. I, I have a, another question that I didn't even notice that Zach, that Jake Lehman was on the inactive list last night, which I thought was an odd choice. I mean, I know that they had to deactivate somebody, but I thought that was an odd choice. Did, has anything come out about him being injured at all? He wasn't on the injury report. He was just inactive. Yeah, I don't. I, I well, no, he wasn't inactive. He he was dressed. He just DNP'd. The only the only oh, actives, basketball reference had him listed as inactive. No, um, the okay. actives were were Trent and Simons because you're you know as far as what you can have. Um, but he didn't certainly he didn't play. Yeah, no, he definitely got hit with the DMP coach's decision, and uh, we've had this discussion about Harkless and Layman, and it's like Harkless has had two good stints in his two games back, both when he first came into the game, and they were both defensively with finishing one. Um, Duncan transition but other than that Harkless has had little to no impact in the game other than um some early defensive action and that's uh against the Clippers uh Aminu and Harkless switched on a few possessions early in the game and I thought they did a good job stymieing the Clippers there and I was like hey this could be nice to see this could be fun um but beyond that like Mo hasn't hit a shot I don't think outside of like four feet since in, in, in his action back 
Um, Lehman, I thought he did decent work, and I'm not like campaigning for Lehman, but if Harkless isn't going to give you much on the offensive end and he's little to non-existent later on in the defensive side, I, I, I have a hard time arguing against Jake Lehman being out there. Now, well, Harkless was part of that really successful early season bench. Yeah, with the bench. I, I don't have a problem really with Harkless being out there with the bench unit. I, I don't think anybody should have that problem, especially with if the bench unit is struggling defensively. Um, problem is, I Harkless guess he didn't out, want to be in there. <laughs> yeah, and the other thing is, if Harkless is out there, who are you taking off the floor right now? Are you going to take Myers Leonard off the floor right now? Because if you no. take him off the floor right now, I, I think you're probably a little crazy. Um, you're not going to take Collins off because you, as an organization, you've stated his development is paramount. Mm-hmm. Evan Turner's out there. Um, and Seth Curry, like uh, I'm, he's your other primary ball handler or Stauskas. So Jake's the odd man out basically based off seniority here. Well, both Jake and Mo are bigger than Curry. Mm-hmm. If they want to play a little length. Which is something I've always... And they don't have to have the ball in their hands. Yep. So, I mean... I think I'm sounding like I'm a little down on Curry, and I'm not sure if I'm just... Was hoping for more from him by now. I'm sure he will find his way, The next couple weeks are going to be pretty indicative of of whether or not he's going to be successful or not, Tara. Because Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've looked at it or heard me say something about it in the last couple days. Portland's December schedule is a night. Yes, we've gone over this before. Yeah, and so... If he's not going to be a part of this unit going forward, you'll be able to tell pretty darn quick. Because mm-hmm. they'll they'll need all of their best out there all the time, or what yeah. Stotts considers as their best. Yep. So we'll see it. Mm-hmm. And either rotation will shorten, or somebody's opportunity will get drastically um, dropped. Mm-hmm. So you're not quite sure right now what's going to happen with Lehman, and you think that also that this coming up run will also give us some... I didn't an indication of where they're going to go with him. Yeah. The next 10 games should be pretty indicative of what's going to happen for the rest of the season. I think mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because they, they, they don't get a night off other than the sun's game. Yeah. And that's, that's assuming a lot. <laughs> yeah, Booker and Aiton can still eat you alive. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, no, no game is ever a guaranteed. It's, it's still the NBA. <laughs> I mean, there's some that are more likely than others, but nothing is, uh, nothing is handed to you. Okay. Last one. From Jackson Frank, and this is the one that's been on my mind a lot lately. If Nurkic is out for a few games, should Collins replace him in the starting lineup, or should Stotts look to maintain routine with his rotation and start Leonard instead, letting Collins continue to serve as the first big off the bench? What are the Blazers going to do if Nurkic is out for a while? Give me the latter. Zach's not ready for that. Um, The latter, you mean letting Collins continue to come off the bench? Yeah, start Myers because... It fits Sots' pattern of, yeah. like, when somebody leaves the rotation, putting in somebody else temporarily. Okay, let, let, let's put it this way. Uh, Not if, shifting everything around. If Nurkic is out, Tara, this is who... No! Okay, this, <laughs> yeah. okay so the next game is against the Orlando Magic. Remind me again who's playing center right now for the Orlando Magic is one of probably the 10 best players in the league right now based on performance. Nikola Vucevic. He is absolutely tearing the league apart and murdering teams right now. He's shooting 50, 40, 85, I think, and averaging 20 and 11. Like He's been a phenomenal player for the Magic. And the Magic, the Magic have, have been a good team uh, compared to what expectations were already this season. And uh, continuing the trend of long, obnoxiously long teams, Orlando is right there. So after that, you have a game against the Denver Nuggets who feature who? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that other big giant dude that Nurkic usually gets up for. Do you want Zach on Jokic for 25 minutes? Mm-mm. I mean, do you think Zach's ready for that? I'm genuinely asking. Do you think Zach's ready for that? Uh, no. I mean, I think I think Myers will be able to hold it down more. Okay, then the Spurs, you've got Pau Gasol, who is going to be use all of the vet savvy in the world. And I think that's probably a better matchup for Zach. But then you follow it up with the Dallas Mavericks, who have DeAndre Jordan. That's Wait, another so- grown-ass man. And then you've got DeAndre Ayton, Cat, Capella, Gasol, Valanciunas. Like, that's, 
those are the bigs that the Blazers are playing against in the next couple of games. And if Nurkic is out, I just don't – I'm not ready to trust Zach Collins against any of those guys. Mm-hmm. Not for a long stretch. In a short period with a burst of energy and a nice scouting report, sure. But for 25 minutes, no. And this is what we were talking about coming into the season, right, Tara? We're one rolled Yusuf Nurkic ankle yes. day from the front court going, oh, crap. From Myers Leonard starting. Yeah. Um, do you, do we see Biggie now? Like I was surprised we didn't see Biggie. We didn't see Caleb Swanigan. They'll need Biggie if for nothing else for minutes and fouls. Yeah. I mean, because Myers and Zach can't play the entire time. No, one of them is going to Well, and also it disappoints me because I think that Myers and Zach have developed a nice chemistry playing together. Yeah. They, they do offer a nice inside outside balance, which is something we talked about coming into the season. And both of them have have been – this is one thing I've loved about the bench unit, right? And that's Evan Turner and Nick Stauskas are actively looking for Myers Leonard and, and, and Collins on the roll, on the dump off, uh, on the lob. Like they, there, there have been some really nice plays off little driving dishes um, from that bench unit from Stauskas and Turner to Leonard and Collins. And they've kind of read each other really well like – I'm diving now. I'm popping out now. Like there's been a nice, a nice chem- chemistry between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And so we won't get to see that if Nurkic is out. So let's just go ahead and say that we hope that Nurkic isn't out. Oh, for... please <laughs> and that's, that's a, for any period of time whatsoever at all. Given him enough shine for what he has done this year, I think this is the most consistent. We have seen use of Nurkic, and if you don't get me wrong, the Bosnian beach, beast Nurkic, you know, Nurk fever, all that stuff when he first came here, that was great. But the effort and the consistency and production that we've gotten from Yusuf Nurkic, outside of like the first like four games of the season where we saw Collins finish, and everyone's like, "Oh, Collins is going to finish games." No, um, Nurkic has been phenomenal. Yeah, Nurkic has matured into this role, into the role of a starting center on a good NBA team. Mm-hmm. And he has been able to do all of the things that are required of him to him of that role, you know, to support his guards, to be there for his guards, to do the screen setting and to do the rolling and to be an option or to you know, be not. I mean, he even went out there and sh- shoots a few threes just to give it the old college try to see if anybody will run out on him. Right? Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's done he's matured into this role in such a way that I just have loved watching. And it will just make me so sad if if he is out or it'll also if he has an injury, but he decides to play through it, man, soldier. I mean, shoulders. We saw it's going to hurt your dunking. (laughs) It's going to be hard to dunk if your shoulder is sore. Um, Like if you look at Nurkic's advanced numbers, his usage rate is lower than it was last year. But his rebound percentage, his assist percentage, his true shooting percentage, his effective field goal percentage, offensive rebounding percentage, everything is up. And all that is maturity. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's that's him giving up needing to be the focus of everything all of the time in order to do all the things that the team needs him to do. Yeah, and I think the perfect Can't ask for more than that. Was the game where he nearly had a triple-double. Like, he was perfectly content to just set his teammates up the whole damn game. He's like, I... I'm, I'm good with this. And I, I think like he has found a way to like shotgun spray the box score almost every night. Like he has found a way to, I think that's the best way to describe it. Tara is his maturity. He has found a way to contribute on a very, very high and consistent level for, um, what was, uh, I don't want to say expected, but anticipated of him. Mm-hmm. And, and I think he's delivered in, in almost every single regard outside of the first couple games of the season. Right. Well, and when he you, you brought up Nurk Fever, I think Nurk Fever was adrenaline. And we can all do amazing things mm-hmm. with a good shot of adrenaline. But to be able to f- fit into a role where you can do it consistently when you're doing it on purpose, not because someone's lit a fire under you, but because that is who you are and that is what kind of a player you are now, has been fantastic to watch. So I... I hope that he that he comes back strong. I hope that Aminu gets his shooting. I'm not going to say shooting form back because I had no people have <laughs> issues with his form. But let's just say I hope he gets the shooting percentages back up because I know he can. One of the reasons I like him so much is 
he usually is able to just you know through slumps he's able to just hold it together and push through but this is the worst one that i've seen him under and i i just i want it to end for him <laughs> what's crazy is since the, the the 11th basically the beginning of that that road trip mm-hmm. um he's not even the worst three-point shooter on the team Hark- really harkless hasn't hit any well he's barely played but i'm just saying just okay so harkless so even if you throw harkless out dame's at 28 percent zach's at 31 percent and Aminu's slightly ahead of Zach at 31.1. The problem is Aminu's attempting the third most and Dave's mm-hmm. attempting the most. So you've got, what, 13 plus 14 threes a game being taken by guys that are hitting 28% of them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, two out of the top three, that's that's rough. Somebody's got to got to start falling. It's been, uh, I mean, the, the only ones knocking down any volume of threes right now are CJ and Myers, who you can like legitimately count on. Layman's close at 36%. Mm-hmm, but he doesn't get many opportunities. No, he, he's actually taking the same amount as, as Myers right now, two mm. and a half a game. But, I mean, the volume stuff is, I think, what, what has to have people a little bit concerned. Do they try – do they do, – do you see them possibly upping Myers' volume, especially if Nurkic is out? Oh, I mean, Nurkic is out. Myers, is yeah, right, is about I guess he's going to gonna take a lot of those positions. Yeah. He's the, the the Portland offense definitely changes, but I would like to see them do a lot of the things that they do with Yusuf Nurkic because I think that Myers can do a lot of what Yusuf does in a different way. Um, we, we were listening, but when we started the recording um, on Trailblazers courtside, they had an interview with Myers between uh, Holton and, and Kent. And they were talking about how effective and how willing a screen center Myers is. And we saw it in the Clippers game. Myers was setting absolutely bone-crushing picks. Uh, Multiple Clippers, including Avery Bradley, were knocked to the floor in that game. And I think Nurkic is the next closest thing as far as that screen-setting ability. Um, But I would like to see if if Nurkic is hurt, if Myers being put in the same position. Like, Dame has been almost to an extent force feeding Nurkic on the roll. And I would like to see Dame do the same thing with Myers um, to kind of keep the look the same, but then mix up the wrinkles on the short roll or the pop or the, or the, the, the roll to the baseline just to keep defensive honest is honest. And the thing is, I think Myers is an incredibly willing passer. So if you get Myers on a, on a catch on a roll, he may be, he may sometimes want to pass to a fault. And I know that some people will be like, well, yeah, duh, because he passes up open threes. But maybe that's something that could help kickstart the offense again. And I'm not saying that Nurkic isn't a willing passer. I'm just saying that maybe overpassing a few possessions may be something that could get the offense rolling again. Yeah. Well, let's hope that the offense gets rolling again because it has not been pretty <laughs> over the last week. Let's hope that next week at this time when we talk, we talk about, oh, what a relief it is that everybody is back to shooting their – to hitting their threes. And, uh, boy, we thought this was going to be a tough week with all this schedule, but look how the Blazers overcame it. That's, okay, so, that's, the, that's the conversation we're going to come back and have in a week, okay? Okay, Magic Nugget Spurs. That's what Portland has this week. What's their record at the end of those three games? Don't ask me. I w- I refuse to answer. I'm no longer making any predictions. What's yours? Uh, hopeful for two and one, but zero mm-hmm. and three is a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the most likely is probably with the way they're playing right now is one and two. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they build on some successful things and bounce back, because they had that. Um, a couple games they dropped, and then Stotts kind of got on them about, you need to play some damn defense, and they reeled off a couple wins. Maybe that, hey, guys, remember that whole defense thing? Play it again. Maybe a little bit of that and some time off, some home cooking. They, they bounce back, and they, they go two and one in the next three. Mm-hmm. Well, let's hope. <laughs> let's go ahead and uh, wrap it up here. Uh, I can be found on Twitter at TCB Biggs, and you can also follow my Hoops and Talks podcast at Hoops and Talks, and we'll have one coming out this week. And you can also, if you want to come to the next Women's Hoops and Talks meetup, that will be on December 19th. You can find all of the dates for the Hoops and Talks meetups uh, pinned to the top of my profile on Twitter. 
Dan, take us out of here. All right, folks, you can find me on social media at DMARANG. It's at D-M-A-R-A-N-G. And on Blazers Outsiders with Joe Simon, Shane Brennan, and myself on NBC Sports Northwest on every pre- and post-game. Upcoming things, starting December 4th, Blazers Outsiders is moving to an on-location at the Rialto on 4th, just outside Pioneer Courthouse Square. We're doing the pre- and post-game shows from there, so if you want to, come on down. Uh, I know there's quite a few road games interspersed in that period, actually starting with that night against the Mavericks. I think we have four or five road games in that period. So if you're looking to play for a place to come watch the game and shoot it, come on down, hang out with us, um, have a few drinks, adult beverages, water, whatever it is. Uh, other than that, that's pretty much all we have going right now. Quick reminder, uh, Blazers Edge Night is coming up in March, March 25th against the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, if you have the ability, the capacity to donate tickets, please do. Um, we'll be promoing it on, on, on Blazers Outsiders between now and Christmas because I know this is the time when people are more so in the giving mood. Um, but again, this is 2,200 kids, and if you have the opportunity to make something happen, to make any kind of donation, or you know somebody who can, please pass the word along because this relies on people like you who are willing to do something for these guys, uh, for these kids. And uh, it's an absolutely awesome, awesome, awesome experience. Uh, for Terrible and Biggs, I'm Danny Moran. We'll go ahead and catch everybody next week. Take care, everybody. See ya. Thanks for listening. Bye.